We need to be able to help people understand and be able to make those assessments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to HIMSCast. My name is Mike Milliard. and I'm executive editor of Healthcare IT News, a HIMS publication. And I'm here today with Dylan George, who's the director of the Center for Forecasting and Outbreak Analytics at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dylan, thanks for being here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate the opportunity. So we got a bit of news to talk about. You guys uh, have just launched this new national network for outbreak response and disease modeling. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, you know, maybe just a bit of background. You know, could you just say just a bit about yourself, about the CDC's Center for Forecasting and Outbreak Analytics, and and the work you do there? Yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity. So the Center for Forecasting Outbreak Analytics is one of the newest centers at CDC. We started, we officially launched about two uh, two years ago in January of 2022. Our mission in the Center for Forecasting Outbreak Analytics is to empower people to save lives and protect uh, communities from health threats. And we do this uh, by harnessing cutting edge analytics to improve response capabilities during those emergencies. And uh, so we're trying to actually use data as a superpower to help people keep themselves, their families, and their communities safe from uh, health emergencies. Is it safe to guess that CFA was kind of stood up as a direct response to the pandemic or was something like this maybe in the works before COVID-19 even came along? No, we were definitely born out of the pandemic. I mean, there was an explicit kind of recognition that we need to use data more effectively to help people understand the risks and manage the risks associated with infectious disease outbreaks. And so that's what we were born out of the pandemic to help do. And um, uh, and so we're really excited about the capabilities that we're bringing on board, uh, the team that we're building, and the tools that we're building right now. I mean, we're you can think of us as a startup in government. We haven't fully built our team, our tools, our partnerships, but we are um, uh, we're getting better week on week, month on month, going forward. Yeah. You know, what sort of staffing do you have now, and what sort of staffing are you aiming for? Yeah, great question. You know, two years ago when we started, there was five of us. Uh Um, You know, last year there was about 20 of us, and now there's a little over 50. Um, And so we're progressively building our team. We're targeting at about 100 to 130 people in our our workforce plan to build out our our full team and our full capabilities. And so that's where we're, we're, we're on a good trajectory and we're getting, you know, building our team a little bit faster as we go. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, that is really um, encouraging for me, though, too, is that the team that we're building is what I refer to as crazy good. They are one of the best teams I've worked with in my career. And I am just absolutely proud to be associated with this team and um, the things that we're working on. I was just out of university over the week, uh, late last week, giving a a lecture, and um, I was talking to one of the, the 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 modelers there at the university. They were complaining to me, not really complaining, kind of complaining, but kind of pointing out that they couldn't get postdocs because we were sucking up all the good people. <laughs> because, um, and they also were looking at the team that we built a little bit enviously too. It's like, that is an amazing team that you put together. And so I, it's crazy good. I'm super excited about the quality of the people that we brought on board too. It is just a phenomenal team to be associated with. 
so you've mentioned, you know, the imperative of a data-driven response to to preventing, you know, God forbid, the next pandemic and just, you know, building pub- better public health in general. What type of data are you dealing with? What type, what's your analytics, you know, infrastructure look like? You know, uh, describe that. Yeah, no, in, in the early stages, what we're looking at right now is like the standard sort of things like case counts, um, hospitalizations and deaths. And those are the kind of like the core data sorts of uh, um, public health data uh, uh, data that we're using. And um, and those are the things that we're focusing on in the near term. Now, we, we do want to add on um, uh, additional sorts of data and non-traditional sorts of approaches. For example, we've done some preliminary work looking at wastewater data. How does wastewater data help us project forward in particular places? And how does it help us understand when you get um, changes in the curves going forward? And the preliminary data on that are very exciting. It's, like, it's looking like wastewater data is exceptionally helpful in um, adding to some of these more traditional core data sets. But that's what we want to do is we want to use the core data sets that are available, case counts, hospitalizations, deaths. And then how do we add additional data to them to really strengthen our ability to understand what's going on and what are we going to confront in the handful of weeks, days to weeks as we go through an outbreak? So I imagine the analytics tools you're using are already pretty advanced and you're going to be continuing to hone them and innovate them as, as you go forward. Um, you know, what do they look like? Are you using AI, automation, machine learning, you know, all that? Yeah, no, it's um, there are a set of, of modeling tools that have been um, kind of like within the academic community been um, banging around for a while. And they're kind of at academic grade quality. And so we're tra- going to try to improve them to more kind of indus- industry grade quality uh, as we move forward. And so we want to improve those tools and make sure that they're really good. Now, uh, one of the channel, one of the things that's really exciting about artificial intelligence right now is that it's it's both a challenge and and a really exciting opportunity. First, that you know, artificial intelligence really works best when you have a big bolus of data. You can throw a lot of models at it, and you can really kind of see which models progress and then how you move forward. Um, and it artificial intelligence is really data hungry. Um, the challenge that we have is that early in an outbreak, we have relatively few data. It's by definition, it's the beginning of data coming out on an outbreak. And so we need to find ways that are not as data hungry, some qualitative approaches and some other models that don't require as much data to actually be uh, to, to be effective with them. Now, the other thing that, so, so, so some of the approaches that are really successful in other places with artificial intelligence, likely in the early stages of an outbreak, aren't, aren't going to be as effective because you just don't have as much data. But, you know, when you're using like machine learning operations, the tools and technologies that are used to actually throw those thousands of models at millions of lines of code or of data, that, that the technologies to enable that to happen those can improve our processes to actually help us, even in those sparse data environments. We're very interested in um, piloting and thinking through how do we actually use machine learning operations to improve, to establish our workflows, to improve our workflows, and then to make them really easy for other people to surge in a time of crisis and helping us out. So, so you know, artificial intelligence, I think we need to be a little bit humble and a little bit kind of circumspect as to how much can really help us, in the, especially in the early stages of an outbreak. But there's some really big advances on how do you do operations of using modeling going forward as well. So it's a it's slightly a good news, bad news story, but we're very excited about what's happening in the field right now. 
Were there some lessons learned from the pandemic, perhaps about you know what not to do and and you know where you should you know be focusing going forward as 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 we kind of hone our approach to to doing this? Yeah, one of the challenges that uh, that we face in the United States is that you know we are um, a fragmented system from a public and a private sort of engagement from a healthcare perspective. Um, so there's many different sort of pay, uh, providers and payers and providers for healthcare. Um, and then also it's like, you know, where um, the, the collection and the ownership and the kind of responsibility for a lot of public health efforts is at the state and local level. And so all of those systems have to be kind of developed and supported and sustained through time. And, you know, the CDC needs to establish those kinds of uh, authorities and data use agreements so that we can actually work with all the different jurisdictions across the United States to be able to bring that information in. in a, but we also need to be able to su support them, uh, the various jurisdictions at the state and local level, in developing the technologies to make that easy for them to do. Um, and so it's kind of like two sides of the coin. We need authorities, but we also need to sustain infrastructure and, and workforce at the state and local level to actually make that happen. We can't rely on moving information at the speed of bureaucracy. We can't rely on moving the speed uh, of information at the speed of a fax machine in the next pandemic. It just that's just not acceptable. We learned how bad that happens in the in this last one with COVID. We need to find a, a better ways of doing things. And I think that the efforts that are happening right now within the Office of Public Health Data Strategy or Surveillance and, and Technology, or affectionately referred to as the Data Office within CDC. Uh, that's, that's led by um, uh, Dr. Jen Layden. She's doing a great job of pushing those advances going forward. We need to be able to use data at the speed of the outbreak such that we can actually help people keep keep it. And the combination of what's happening in the data office and what we're developing within the Center for Forecasting Outbreak, outbreak Analytics is really going to help us um, uh, move that forward in a, in a robust way. Okay. So yeah, even though you guys are a federal agency, you're really focused on the the state and local because that's where the stuff happens and where where this stuff crops up. Exactly. I mean, it's like in the United States, the action really happens at the state and local level. We really need to find ways to supporting our colleagues that are working at that level. So is this where the new national network for outbreak response and disease modeling comes in? Uh, and could you just say a bit about that? Exactly. So our 10x value proposition at the Center for Forecasting Outbreak Analytics. Can we provide better analytical insights to decision makers at the federal level? I am confident we're going to be able to do that. We've been doing that for the last two years. As we've been building our organization, we've been thrown into supporting various outbreaks, Ebola, Marburg, uh, COVID, MPOX, um, uh, et cetera. So I'm, I'm confident that it's going. that's only going to become easier and easier. The 100x value proposition is can we provide that same sort of analytical insight to state and local jurisdictions. That 100x value proposition where I think we're going to have that outside impact is being able to work with state and local jurisdictions. InsightNet is a new network that we just stood up recently within the last week uh, that is going to improve outbreak analytics and disease modeling um, across the board. We have taken a huge step towards that 100x value proposition in instantiating the Insight Net Network to actually um, improve our capabilities across the board. And it is explicitly focused on helping us develop new capabilities, analytical capabilities, test them with state health departments and state and local health departments, and then figure out how to deploy them across all the jurisdictions in the United States. 
Uh, and so we're very encouraged and very excited to, and to see what our partners are going to do in this network. So could you talk about some of the participants in the network? I see a lot of uh, universities and, and academic uh, you know, centers here. Um, tribal organizations, I see mentioned state health departments, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty broad cross-section. Yeah, we have 13 prime awardees. And as you've pointed out, many of them, um, are academic organizations. Two of them are private sector. One is Kaiser Permanent Southern California, and the other one is international responder systems. So two from the private sector, the rest are from the academic, um, uh, sector. The thing that we need to pay attention to, those are the 13 prime awardees. This is, you could kind of think of this as a network of network. Each of those prime awardees has multiple groups that they're working with. There's over a hundred partners in InsightNet. They, they, we cover 22 states and up to 35 state or local health departments are already involved in the network in, of, through those prime awardees. And so, while there's 13 prime awardees, it is touching a lot of people and a lot of people are actually becoming involved in what we're trying to do to develop new mo modeling capabilities, test them out to see if we can actually make better decisions and then figure out how to use them um, across the board in uh, in in various jurisdictions. So so I, there's there's lots of people involved and there's lots of excitement about what we're building. Yeah, I see these kind of three categories of innovators, integrators and implementers. Yeah, no, we, we really wanted to focus on those three, those three big buckets, the, the innovators, the integrators, the implementers. And what the innovators are doing is they're coming up with new methods, new models. They're testing out new data. They're trying to come up with new ways of actually generating those analytical insights. The integrators are going to take those innovations and then they're going to test them, try to figure out, is this really helpful? for a health department to actually make decisions much more effectively to keep their citizens safe. Now, some of the stuff that we come up with in the innovation bucket is not going to be as useful in making those decisions. So we, it's like we need to learn from those and put them aside. For those that do make us help us actually make decisions bigger, faster, stronger in some way, those are the ones we need to figure out. It's like, how do we get everybody using them so they can make their life much more um, effective? And so that's the last group of implementers, how their main job is going to be figuring out how do we actually scale these innovations to other jurisdictions so everyone can take advantage of them. That's why we focus them on three different, those, those three progressive different groups of innovators, integrators, and implementers, because we want to develop, test, and scale these capabilities to make sure that we don't um, uh, stand flat-footed in terms of our analytical capabilities across the board. So it's early days. I mean, literally, this was just this past week. Um, but yeah. what what are your goals going forward? I mean, do you have a timeline of you know certain you know achievables that you'd like to you know, and what kind of KPIs will you be looking at as as you go forward? And you know, big picture. Yeah, no, we we definitely want. We're in the process of actually determining what are the metrics and how we're going to evaluate um, all these different groups. And so over the next handful of months, we're going to actually. Uh, co-create those uh, working with our partners uh, in determining how we actually can make sure. But the main objective, again, the main objective is how do we actually develop operational capabilities? You know, we need to develop science in the service of, of creating these operational capabilities. We're not doing science for science sake. As important as that is, um, 
Other organizations like the National Science Foundation and NIH are focusing on those efforts. We need to use science to improve these operational capabilities. So the, in terms of the testing and evaluation sort of criteria and the KPIs that we're going to be incorporating into the network as we go forward, they are going to be laser focused on. Are we actually creating new operational capabilities? Are they making life better for decision makers? And how do we actually measure that and go forward? So that's one of the challenges. It actually is going to be a little bit challenging to do, but we're really excited about taking on that challenge and, and moving forward. So, you know, as we're recording this in uh, in mid-November, there's, again, talk of a potential government shutdown. You know, this has become this perennial um, thing that we need to deal with, apparently, in, in, in our politics these days. But you know, the funding for, for this, at least in the early going, is secure, right? This is $262 million for this project. And then, yeah. How, how's that? Yeah. So so it's like we we are funding each of the performers, you know, somewhere between three and $6 million per year. Um, and that rolls up to across all of the awardees to about $50 million a year. And across the period of performance, it's five-year period. So it's just a little bit north of 250, so it's like $262 million over that period of time. And, and to just be very blunt, it's like we do have funding for this uh, for the next three years or so that we feel is very secure. After that, you know, we're, we would have to make some hard choices pending what the budget situation looks like. But it's also, it's like three, a lot of things happen over a three-year period uh, in, in federal budget land. And um, and so it's like we we are very excited to get get up and running. Um, and get our teams uh, moving forward and, and uh, developing the technologies and, and deploying them in different ways and then testing them out. Um, and so, so yeah, so I think we're in a, we're in a good spot for the near term. Um, you know, I, th I think you've done a great job laying out the, the value of this work, which, you know, I think to most people would be a no brainer, especially considering what this country, you know, went through over the past few years. But maybe as, as, as we wrap up, just say a few words about the value of this kind of technology driven data-driven, you know, modeling and, and advanced analytics to kind of help protect against infectious disease threats and hopefully prevent, you know, more public health emergencies going forward. You know, what's what's the value proposition here? Yeah, the value proposition for me is like, it's like, you know, we need to be able to help people understand and be able to make those assessments. In the early stages of the, of the pandemic, we shut down activity in businesses and schools across the board. If we could have the power of data on our side such that we could do that in a much more precise way, so in some places where the risk is much higher, we could actually do be more stringent about um, applying different non-pharmaceutical interventions to actually keep people safe. Other places where, you know, maybe in more rural settings where there, there's not as much contact, there's not as much disease uh, circulating, we could be, you know, use fewer of those. Um, and so if we can use, increase the precision by which we're actually uh, testing the risk, identifying how... Um, people can actually understand what that risk is and then communicating that effectively, then people can be empowered to make those choices. I mean, we all are in this world right now where it's like, if I were to come to your location, I would jump into an Uber and I would know by the minute when I would arrive at your location. Um, we don't have that same sort of power of data at our fingertips like we for infectious diseases and for public health, like we do for transportation or for entertainment or for other aspects. That's the aspiration where we want to go to. We want to put the power of, of data in people's hands so they can make those decisions for themselves, for their families, and for their community. And we want to empower people at the local level to be able to make those decisions. And it's only through the power of data 
in analytics that will help us see what's coming forward in an outbreak that we're actually really going to be able to do that. Yeah, that's one thing I, I guess I haven't asked about is is the public outreach and the kind of engagement part of this. Um, you know, what what are you thinking as as you go forward with that? We want to make as much of what we're doing as publicly available in terms of our workflows, our models, our modeling results. And so for a couple of reasons. One, we want to have that peer-to-peer -peer kind of evaluation. So if we're doing something that is that is not quite right, we want people to help us correct it and move forward. Um, but then sec uh, secondarily, we want people, it's like if they find what we're doing really useful, if they want to be able to pull it off their shelf and apply it in their hometown or in their state or in another country, we would love that too. And um, and so it's we want to improve it. We want to we want to actually it to be used more effectively. And then also it's like we want to, to be able to understand um, how and why people are not fully understanding how to use our tools. And so we want that, that kind of feedback as well. So we want to make it as transparent as we possibly can in terms of how we're doing our workflows, the types of models we're using and the types of data that we're, we're using in these models such that people can use them as effective. I think, you know, the sunlight is the, is the best antiseptic for uh, anything. And especially in this world of, you know, misinformation and disinformation, people being able to scrutinize the details of what we're doing here is going to be really critical going forward. And we are very committed to making that as open as we possibly can. Now, on and from a standpoint of like being able to do that with models and our code for our models, and that's going to be, I think, fairly straightforward. The data, under, the data underlying some of these, it's like we need to go through the appropriate kind of processes to do the the, the right data use agreements and and respecting privacies and, and all of that sort of stuff. So there's there's going to have to be some considerations there. But we're very committed to transparency and putting it out as publicly as we possibly can. All right, uh, Dylan, this has been a terrific conversation. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff here, and you guys are doing great work. Um, any closing thoughts or anything I haven't asked you that you want to make sure people know? Yeah, I think that, you know, we're really at a transformative moment in public health right now. There's a clear need for using, improving our data systems, improving our capabilities so that we can actually um, use that information and help people understand infectious disease risks and uh, so that they can modify their behavior in different ways. There's a clear need based on what we've gone through over the past handful of years. There's resources available right now to actually improve these systems. There's leadership uh, from the, the CDC and from uh, various parts of the administration to actually do this kind of work and, and at the state and local levels as well. If we don't take advantage of this transformative moment, shame on us. But I, I'm one of the reasons why I left the private sector to come help build this capability was because we are at the singular moment where we can make, I think, an outlasting impact going forward. That's why I'm so grateful for the team that we're building at the Center for Forecasting Outbreak Analytics. I'm so grateful for the InsightNet partners that are coming online to help build this uh, vision going forward as well. Uh, I, With the kinds of teams and the energy that's coming into this, I am very hopeful that we're going to make a lasting effort in building capabilities such that we won't have as many challenges in uh, confronting infectious disease outbreaks and pandemics in the future. And so. Um, that's what gets me excited about waking up in the morning is uh, working with the great team at CFA and also in the CDC. So um, I'm very excited about that. And I really appreciate the opportunity to tell you more about what we're doing uh, at CFA and what the CDC is doing broadly. Well, we appreciate you being here and, and telling us all about this. So thank you so much, Dylan. 
Yep. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Hymnscast. We encourage you to rate and review us. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play.